good morning. We are in part two this morning of our series on faith habits. Uh, faith habits. If you were here last week, you remember part one. If you weren't, uh, just to catch you up a bit, and if you were and forgot, I'll help you out too. Um, we were in First John chapter one. We talked about walking in darkness uh, and how many of us, uh, whether we know it or not, are, are walking, right? Not many of us, all of us are walking. And uh, whether or not we are walking in the light or walking in the darkness is the question that we examined in ourselves last week. Um, so a couple of things that we saw uh, from First John last week. First, that we are all being spiritually formed all the time. We are all being spiritually formed all the time. It is not a question of if we are being spiritually formed, but how we're being spiritually formed. Uh, we're formed in a few ways, formed by our stories. Uh, so we looked last week at uh, Cam- uh, Cameron, Pamela, and Greg, uh, which are cheesy examples, uh, but they are effective at showing us right, the way that our stories affect us, whether through our career. Uh, through politics, through entertainment, all of us are living a story and measuring success and failure by that story. So the question is, is that story the gospel story? Or are we allowing other stories to creep in? Formed by our stories. We also saw last week we're formed by our habits. Right? So we recognize we are embodied physical people. Right? We aren't just brains. Right? We have bodies and we have habits that we uh, use our existence for, and those habits shape us in different ways. Right? Whether it's swiping our phones or how we eat our meals, uh, we recognize that the way that we spend our day shapes our souls. Uh, and so we looked at a few of those habits and the way that they shape and form us. Uh, we uh, talked about you doing a, a habits audit. Uh, maybe you were able to do that last week. If you weren't, you still got time. You could do it this week. Uh, but basically just sitting down at the end of the day and reviewing. Uh, how did I spend today? Did I spend 30 minutes eating breakfast, right? 30 minutes scrolling my phone. Uh, I spent a, these hours at work. These hours I spent alone in my car eating lunch, right? Um, when I got home, I scrolled Amazon and spent 30 minutes doing that and then spent $20 on some fidget spinner that I didn't need, whatever it is, right? Um, look at how you're spending your time and evaluate. Is this, is this, are these the habits that I want to form and to shape me on a day-to-day basis? So we're formed by our stories, we're formed by our habits, and then we saw last week we're also formed by our relationships. Whether we like it or not, we are affected by our family history. We're affected by the city that we live in, the, the state, the culture that we live in, right? We're affected by our phones, uh, the way that we choose to access and what we choose to access on our phones, whether it's Facebook groups or uh, whether it's news media, whatever it is, these things are inputs into our lives, into our souls, into our being. And what we might kid ourselves and say they don't affect us, but as we saw last week, especially in First John, if we think that, we're just walking in darkness. Right? We're allowing them to affect us without being intentional about how they are affecting our lives and our spiritual formation. So we're affected. We're shaped by our stories, our habits, and our relationships. And so we are called to, to walk in the light. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how is it that we walk in the light? So we spent last week, I, I closed, and I acknowledged right, it was kind of depressing. Right? Here's all the ways that we walk in darkness. And you're like, wow. Great. Um, stubbing my toe all the way around, right? Uh, but today, in part two, we're going to talk about how do we reorient ourselves, 
right? How do we start walk, stop walking on this path of darkness where we're just kind of stumbling around, and how do we walk in a way that is illuminating? How do we walk in a way that um, is helpful to our spiritual formation? So this week, our primary question is that, how do we walk in the light? Justin Whitmore Early is onto something when he writes, we have a common problem. By ignoring the ways habits shape us, we've assimilated to a hidden rule of life. That is the American rule of life. This rigorous program of habits forms us in all the anxiety, depression, consumerism, injustice, and vanity that are so typical in the contemporary American or Western right, life. We desperately need a set of counterformative practices to become the lovers of God and neighbor that we were created to be. Right? So we are being formed. In order to be formed in the way of Christ, we have to adopt a set of counterformations. We have to fight against the ways that we are being unintentionally formed in the darkness. We need to walk in the light. We need a new way. And that way is the way of spiritual formation, or you might call them our faith habits. Ephesians 3 tells us three things about our spiritual formation. Three things about our spiritual formation. The first one is that spiritual formation is learning Christ. Spiritual formation is learning Christ. In verse 20, you see, my translation says, that is not how you came to know Christ. Uh, One translation says, the ESV says, that is not how you learned Christ. I love that image of, of learning Christ, right? Coming to know Christ. Not learning about Christ, that's part of it, but actually learning Him. Paul expounds on what it means to learn Christ in verse 21, assuming you heard about Him and were taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. So there's three ways that we can learn Christ in that passage. First, we do learn about Him. Right? So it's, it's not that learning Christ is not learning about Him, it's just not merely learning about Him, but learning about Him is important. Um, the about is the information. That is, Jesus is the subject of our study. We saw last week, the light is truth. It must be heard. Right? We have to hear the gospel message. We have to believe it intellectually. We have to adopt this information as truth. If we don't, we're walking in ignorance and darkness. As we receive that message, we find a new way to walk. It's like the map, right? It's like, I believe this map is true. You have to do that before you can walk, before you can follow the map. Right? If you don't believe the map's true, it's not going to do you much good. So we adopt the message, the subject of the gospel. But Charles Taylor makes a, a good observation about us. He says we tend to live in the excarnation. And excarnation, it's a, a nice word. Um, what he means by that is it's the opposite of incarnation. Right? So you remember about a month ago now, we were celebrating the incarnation. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? The incarnation. Carne is meat or flesh, right? Carne asada, you're eating meat, right? Incarnation is Jesus coming in flesh. And that's how Jesus came. He took on a, a body. He didn't just exist as kind of this floaty spirit. He didn't just come down as a brain in a jar, right? He came down and took on flesh and dwelt, John says, among us. But Taylor makes this point that we tend to go the other direction, right? In our spiritual life, we tend to excarnate it, right? We tend to disembody it. In other words, we don't acknowledge the ways that our habits 
The things that we do with our bodies affect our minds and our souls and our spirit. It becomes theoretical. It becomes only in our head about the things that we acknowledge to be true intellectually rather than things that we live out in our habits and our relationships. I'm afraid that in our churches, we've got rooms full of people who have been taught about Jesus but have not been taught by Jesus and in Jesus, which is what Paul continues on to tell us in verse 21. We were taught about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So you hear there, Jesus is not just the subject of our study. He's not just a thing we read about as we open the textbook. He's also our instructor. He's the teacher. We are taught by him. But not only that, Jesus is the very school that we are taught in. So he's not just the subject. He's not just the teacher. He is the context in which we learn him. That's rhetorically powerful, Paul. What does that mean? Well, a couple of things. First, to be taught by Jesus and in Jesus is to take off our former way of life. So Paul picks up on this in verse 24. I'm sorry, verse uh, 22. To take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitfulness, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness. So Paul gives us this take off, take on this put off, put on. It's an image of clothing. Right? So I'm not going to do it, but it's me taking off my jacket right, and putting on, if I'm Mr. Rogers, a cardigan. Right? Um, it's me taking off one article of clothing and putting on something else. That's what Paul's calling to our mind here. See, what we wear not only communicates something about us, it affects who we are, doesn't it? So if you see a soldier, right, in uniform, they have a little bit of a different bearing as they're walking around in their uniform, right? They, they might change their voice a bit if they're a general or a commander. They have that commander voice. That when they're in uniform, they become, <clears throat> excuse me, they become a general. They become a soldier. Now, that doesn't mean when they take it off, they're not one, right? But it's just something different about what they've put on. And, Another example that probably goes a little bit closer to home is when I get home from work and I put on my sweatpants, I become sweatpants Brandon, right? That's a, that's a different version of Brandon than you see today, right? This Brandon sits on the couch and gets comfortable, right, in a different way than I can with a belt on, right? It's just two different people. Some of you who work from home are now like, that's me all the time. I don't know what you're talking about, right? Um, but, but you know, you, you get that, right? When we put on a certain kind of clothing, we begin to, you know, kind of become the person that we're wearing, right? That doesn't mean it changes fundamentally who you are, but it kind of does, at least in the example. And that's what Paul's touching on here is that old self that we put off as the one that was corrupted by those desires for those other stories, executed through those other habits, shaped only, merely by those other relationships. And he says, no, that's the self that we put on and we put off and we put on a new self. You see, our only, or even our primary battle is not against the world or even the devil, but it's against our old self. As we put off ourself, we put off the world, we put off the ways of darkness, we put on the new self, the way of godliness, Christ-likeness, the way of true joy. The Christian life is a constant taking off in order to put on, right? Saying, this is what I really need. This is my real story. This is what's actually true about me. This is what my soul is really craving underneath all of my other manifesting desires. 
So spiritual formation, yes, is learning Christ. Spiritual formation is also putting on a new self. So how do we do that? Take that outline that we worked with last week, stories, relationships, and uh, what's the third one? Habits. Yeah, I was testing you, so you know. Um, right, stories, habits, and relationships. So first, we put on new stories. Right? So part of spiritual formation, part of sanctification, is the putting on of new stories. In other words, taking on new identities. Right? That's, you see at the top of your card that you got, uh, if you didn't get one this week, they're out in the uh, foyer here, but you have one at the top and on the front in big, bold, nice, pretty letters, Student, right? So that's one new identity, one new story that I tell about myself. Right? I'm a student of Christ. I'm a student of Jesus. You can hear this in Romans chapter 12. Paul writes, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercy of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So that's what biblical teaching is. That's what absorbing Bible and teaching is, is putting on new stories onto ourselves. It's retelling, recasting those false stories as now true stories. And you notice what Paul says in Romans, right? Did you hear? He used both bodies and minds. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, and be renewed in your mind. Right? So Paul's not about the excarnation. Paul's about the incarnation. He recognizes body and mind both need renewal. They both have a part to play in this spiritual formation process. So whether it's your personal Bible reading, taking a GDI class, listening to a podcast, all of these things are intaking Bible, not just so we can check the box right, and brag to our friends on Sunday that we're doing really good on our faith habits, right? It's so that we can begin to recast our story in light of the gospel. So the gospel can begin to infiltrate not just our minds, but our very lives, our very selves, who we are and what we do. So whether we're, and I I use the hand example here, right? If every finger is something we do with the Bible, right? We read it, we study it, we memorize it, we listen to it. But the thumb is meditation, right? So the thumb can touch all of those. And it should every time. Every time we read the Bible, we're meditating on it. Every time we study the Bible, we're meditating. Every time we memorize the Bible, we're meditating. Every time we listen to someone else teach the Bible, we're meditating. We're allowing the truth to sink not just into our heads, but into our very souls, into our guts. We're allowing it to transform us. We're asking the question, how is this going to change my story? What part of my story needs to be tweaked in light of what I'm reading, hearing, memorizing today? So yes, Bible teaching, putting on new stories is first, but that's not enough. Right? That's not the only process that we enter into as we enter into spiritual formation, as we adopt these faith habits. Second one are the spiritual practices. That is putting on new habits. Putting on new habits. Spiritual practices, faith habits, right? So the key here in putting on these new habits is it's not in trying harder, but it's in training. Every, so New Year's resolutions, right? You're like, I'm going to try really hard this year. I'm going to try harder than I did last year, and that's why it's going to be successful. It's going to be successful because I was not trying hard enough last year, and now this year I'm really going to try hard enough. That's, 
That's not how anything works, but that's definitely not how spiritual training works. That's not how spiritual formation works. Instead, we have to move from this idea that my problem is that I'm not trying hard enough to my problem is that I'm, is that I'm not training well enough. Let me explain to you what I mean. I'm taking this image from Paul, 1 Timothy 4, 7-8. through 8. He says, train yourself in godliness. And then if we miss the image, he makes it clear for us, training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Those New Year's resolutions, try harder, right? That's a failing message. We know this to be true. I mean, that's why the, anybody ever used the Couch to 5K app or looked at it and wish you used it, right? Uh, so the way that thing works, right? I did it one time and then, uh, there's probably some spiritual application here, but I actually made it to the 5K and I finished the 5K and I was like, I still hate this, so I'm not going to do it anymore. I, uh, I did the discipline and uh, I was told that there was this runner's high that you get where like, eventually you're just going to love running. And I was like, I've done this for three months and it's still a runner's low. I don't understand. Um, <laughs> But that's how it works, right? You, you start out and you run, I mean, you like run for like, I can't even remember, maybe not even a quarter of a mile. And then you walk a quarter of a mile. And then you run a quarter. And then the next day, you run a quarter mile and then walk a tenth of a mile and then run another quarter mile. So you're constantly kind of stretching out yourself. But it's slow. Right? If I hand, I'm not going to pick on anybody, but if I hand one of you, the, it's say, like, go run a 5K. And you're like, I don't think I can. I'm like, well, just try really hard. Well, that'll end in either like death or... Uh, yeah, something worse than death. Uh, vomiting, right? Um, it's going to end badly, right? You trying harder is not the problem. The problem is not that, well, you're just not trying hard enough. That's why you're not running a 5K. No, it's something you've got to prepare for. It's something you've got to train for. It's something you can't just wake up one morning and decide, I'm going to achieve this tomorrow, and I'm going to well up all of the energy myself so I can do it, and I'm just going to check it off and be done. Right? It requires training. Another example, in this room about a month ago, we, the, the kids had a piano recital, right? And Judah and Levi and Abigail all did a fantastic job playing their songs they've been studying and learning for the past four months, maybe longer. And at the end, on that piano, uh, we had uh, the teacher, Miss Hannah and Miranda Maston, did a duet. And so they both sat side by side and played this awesome piece of like, amalgamation of sleigh bells and all this kind of stuff. And it was like, are they growing hands while they're playing? Like, how is that happening right now? I'm just sitting in the back, like, marveling at what's happening. Now, what if we handed each of the kids that piece of music? And we're like, play this. And they're like, well, I don't think I can do that. Well, you're just not trying hard enough. You try. You've got to try harder. And then they play it and they mess it up. And we're like, no, I said try, right? That would be silly. Like, that would be abuse, right? I mean, that's, that's not how it works. No, but what we did when we got in the car... We were all talking about, wow, can you believe Miranda and Hannah can play that well? At least in our family, what we did, we said, yeah, and, and buddy, if you keep practicing, man, you, you played great today, and you can play that in a few years. If you keep practicing the way that you're doing now, it's an encouragement to see what we could be. Right? So it's not looking at these habits, these disciplines, and saying, I can't do those. That might be true, but you've got to move from the language of I can't to I can't do those yet. So what can I do to get there? What can I begin practicing, right? You may not be able to read your Bible for an hour a day and pray for an hour and find this great spiritual success, right? But you can eventually if you begin reading for five minutes a day and scratching and uh, developing that itch that needs to be scratched, right? You can develop a prayer life as you begin to put your faith that the Lord will do something through this. So I want to pray for five, ten minutes a day and begin to expand it. 
right? I want to become the kind of person who prays for an hour. But I can't, I'm probably not going to be able to do that tomorrow. I might try, but it's going to be hard. Because the, effort, the, the problem isn't in my effort. The problem is in my training. You see, what's true of the piano is also true of our spiritual formation. Whether it's overcoming addiction, whether it's spiritual disciplines, whether it's putting on the fruits of the Spirit, these things are lifetime endeavors. They're not meant to be accomplished overnight in a microwave. They're meant to be accomplished over the course of a lifetime of continuing to add on and tweak those habits in our lives, those practices that we are becoming. And then, not only do they take a lifetime, they take an eternity. Because while we're made perfect, we're going to continue to live out these habits with Jesus perfectly on the last day. And this is why spiritual comparison is, is so dangerous for us. This is why it's the enemy of progress. As we start to look around, not looking like we encourage the kids to look at their piano teacher, right? Hey, keep, be encouraged. You could do this if you practice. But instead, looking and saying, you should be able to play Mozart. She can play Mozart. Why can't you play Mozart? Well, what's that going to do? If playing Mozart's the success, I give up, right? Not only that, but what if we told the piano teacher, hey, man, you played Jingle Bells way better than that eight-year-old. Boy, you're a great piano. You probably, you probably don't even need to learn anything else because you can play that so well. No, what do we tell her? That was awesome. And then she, hopefully, looks and says, yeah, I'm actually, that was good, but I'm really working on this Requiem by Bach. And it's tough, right? And I'm continuing to press myself forward. I'm not settling for I'm better than this person over here or I'm further ahead of that person over there. We're continuing to press toward not them, but Christ. It takes a lifetime to reorient our habits. So I'm going to introduce for you a couple of kinds of habits and encourage you to train in these. The first are just general habits. So these are habits that everybody can do, and everybody should do. These are required in Scripture from us. These are the things that every Christian needs to be working on and training in all the time. So these are things like um, Bible reading, prayer, corporate worship, right? These are the things that we have promises from God that as we do these, it was like turning on the faucet and allowing the water of grace to flow through that faucet so that we can be refreshed and nourished by them. These are, everybody needs to be reading our Bibles. Right? Everyone needs to be praying. Everyone needs to be joining with the church in worship. Those aren't easy, but they are simple. Right? The second kind are, uh, require a little bit more wisdom, but I think they're just as important. And I'm going to call them disruptive habits. Disruptive habits. These are the faith habits that are uniquely tailored to counter or to disrupt my life's false stories and temptations. They're uniquely tailored. That is, there's not like a, a commandment that I have to do this. But I recognize that if I want to disrupt that story, if I want to fight that temptation, I'm going to need a unique training program, right, to do that. So a couple of examples. Um, I'll use Career Cameron again. Um, so for Career Cameron, right, his um, standard of success is in achievable results at work, right, career. So his wins and losses on the week are based on what he did at work, what, how he's doing on that promotion, climbing that ladder, right? That's the measure of success. So a, a disruptive habit for him, there's plenty you can choose from, but one might be 
teach a kid's Sunday school class. Why? Well, because success is not measurable in a kid's Sunday school class, right? It's going to counter that narrative that I am sovereign, I am in control. If I apply myself in these ways, I will be successful. And then you go and try to teach kids about Moses, and they start throwing random objects at you, right? And you leave, and you're like, I don't know what just happened. What does it require you to do? It requires you to trust in the sovereignty of God. I plant seeds. I water seeds, but God makes them grow. I am not the master of my fate. I could barely keep the kids in the room without killing each other, right? And also, like, it's not seen, right? So a career camera, typically, like at work, you're doing, you're doing things to be seen by others, right? It's just natural. Again, it's not necessarily sinful. It's just the, the story that your work is continually pushing on you. Well, the counterformation there is I go to the kids' room and Sometimes people don't know I'm there and it's hard and it's messy and I got crayon on me when I'm done and nobody's really like patting me on the back saying, wow, you're super spiritual, I just come and go. And yet, there's a quiet faithfulness there that's pushing back against that encroaching story of success that is constantly calling us, right? It's a counter story. For political Pam, right? It, maybe it's reading scripture before opening her phone in the morning. So that, again, I don't think you're a sinner if you look at your phone before you read Scripture, right? There's nothing in the Bible that says that, but for her it might be. Because that story is calling from her phone to look at the latest breaking news, to look at the enemies for the day, to look at who I'm supposed to be angry at, and immediately get stirred up over it, right? And there are algorithms, and there are news hosts, and there are media companies that are all seeking her anger and her attention so that they can make money off of it, right? And she says, no, I'm going to push back against that. Before I hear any other voices, I need to hear God's voice. Maybe it's fasting from news media and praying through something like Operation World, which is going to require you to pray over different nations and reorient herself to be able to see that, you know what, all these little America bubble that I'm in, they're not unimportant, but God's doing things in Pakistan. God's doing things in China. And as I pray for my Chinese brothers and sisters, all of these things that seem so catastrophic and so important last week begin to shrink a little bit. And my prayers begin to give me some perspective on what's really important. You see, the gospel story starts infiltrating that political narrative and starts pushing back against it, pushing it out of the primary place in Pam's life. For, uh, for Gamer Greg, I, my wife Caitlin told me last week, uh, Gamer Greg is probably a misnomer. It's probably not fair to, uh, to gamers. Um, I'm going to rename him. Uh, what it's really about is entertainment and leisure, right? So I'm going to name him Entertainment Eddie. This is, uh, this is Entertainment Eddie. And <clears throat> for, uh, for Eddie, uh, a counterformation might be to join a life group, right? So that he's committing to a group of people that aren't there to entertain him. Right? He's got to commit to serve them, to be present with them. So rather than coming home and watching the latest episode, one day a week... He's going to somebody else's house, not to be entertained, but to pour himself out for others, to receive real, authentic community rather than his own needs and wants and desires. Maybe he decides, I'm going to journal three times a week. I'm going to write out my prayers because it's hard for me to focus because I'm constantly distracted. And I'm constantly thinking about what show's coming out, what's on Twitter, right? wherever his entertainment heart lies, he says, I'm going to become a more contemplative Christian by looking at this journal and writing out a prayer to the Lord three times a week. Again, if you don't journal, that doesn't mean you're unfaithful. But for Eddie, 
This is a way that he's going to push back on the call of entertainment and leisure and distraction, constantly whispering in his ear. In other words, to use biblical language, these are ways to fight temptations, right? These are ways that we're pushing back against the unique ways the world, our flesh, and the enemy are seeking to tempt us and draw us away from the truth of the gospel message, the way of Jesus. You'll notice on your, on your faith habits card, right, they have a, a mix of both. So commit to a Bible reading plan. That's a general habit, right? We should all be reading our Bibles with some regularity, depending on what stage of life we're in and how far along we are in our faith. But we should all be reading the Bible. Um, scripture before screens, right, that's a disruptive habit, right? That's one that we want you to all try. These, again, like I said last week, these are kind of all nudges in the direction of spiritual formation. So maybe you try that for a few weeks and that one isn't, you know, your, your trouble isn't with screens. And so you're like, I'm not really, that's not really like requiring a lot of me. That's okay. Um, memorizing Psalm 1. That's probably a general one, right? Uh, take up and read. Reading a, a Christian book. Again, that's a, that's a disruptive one, right? If you're not reading a Christian book every week, no Bible commandment that says that, but it's a way for you to enter into that listening, right? Away from distraction. So you'll see there, uh, each week, or each... Uh, Month, each four weeks. Sorry, time is hard. Uh, they're two weeks each, so each eight weeks or so. You'll get a new card, and there will be a mix right, of general habits and disruptive habits seeking to reorient us to the way of Jesus and away from those other stories and those other habits that are calling us. So we've got biblical teaching, putting on new stories. We've got spiritual practices, putting on new habits. And then thirdly, Christian community, that is putting on new relationships. Putting on new relationships. So that's why we're doing this together, right? That's why we're talking about it. That's why we're giving you cards because these aren't really meant to just be done in your closet alone. So we want you, each Sunday you see each other, to ask, hey, how are you doing in your faith habits? What's been encouraging to you this week as we've all been reading about, hey, what Bible reading plan did you use? I use this one. I'm curious, how's that one going for you? I might use it next year. We want this to be a community effort, right? So in your life group, ask each other, what's been hard? What part, which ones are you most dreading, right, as you look ahead? Which ones are you most excited about? These are things that are meant to be done together, not alone, just you and Jesus. We have a horizontal relationship, remember, but these things, they go vertical. Not just us and God, but us and each other. Living in community offers us two things, at least, probably more, but at least two. It offers us exposure, and it offers us encouragement. Exposure and encouragement. You can hear Paul talk about this in 1 Thessalonians 5. We exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. Right? So that's exhortation, warning. Comfort the discouraged. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. You see, by yourself, you can't see your own blind spots. You're like, well, honestly, I don't know who I am. Career what you say, career Cody, can't whatever, uh, right? Political path, I don't, I don't really, I don't know. That's where you can ask your spouse, your life group, your family, right? Yeah, be open. Hey, guys, what, which of these do you see most in me? You know me well enough, hopefully. If nobody knows you that well, all the more reason to join us next week for the life group lunch, where people, you can be known and know others, to be able to speak into, I know you well enough, I don't know everything about you, but I know you well enough to probably be able to give some insight into which of these temptations are going to be most effective for you. So that's exposure. 
exposing our blind spots, not for guilt trips, right, but so that we can begin to work toward godliness. And also encouragement to disrupt that negative self-talk that we've already talked about where you're like, look, I, I, you don't understand. I'm, I'm a special kind of failure, right? I'm so humble that I say that I'm the first person in human history who Jesus can't change. And you see how that works where I'm really humble, so I'm going to pridefully talk about how I'm the worst, right? It's amazing what we can do with ourselves. But we do that, don't we? Where we're like, ah, I mean, yeah, I know like Paul was a murderer and, you know, David did his thing. Moses did. I know the Peter was constantly, but you don't understand me. Like God can't use me. Like, okay, right? No, we need other people in our lives to remind us, here's how God can use you. Here's the way I've seen the Lord already use you. Here are the ways I see that the Lord could use you in the future if you'll continue to be spiritually formed by him. You see, we need each other. We're more than just these people in these rows. We need real community together. I I do, I've given this rant before, but I believe in the power. I do believe there's a supernatural power fueled by the Holy Spirit as we share a meal together with other believers. What did Jesus do when he wanted to express love for someone like Zacchaeus? He ate with him. What did Jesus do when he wanted to have hard conversations with his friends at the Last Supper? He ate with them. There is a unique power that the Spirit uses as we follow in the way of Jesus and commune with our brothers and sisters in faith. So maybe it's a meal. Maybe you meet to read the Bible together with someone over coffee. Um, But learning from our rabbi, our teacher, we ought to regularly have people around our tables. We ought to regularly. I'm not going to set any like perfect dates or uh, it's going to look different for different people. But I'll use that word regularly. It shouldn't be unusual for us to have fellow brothers and sisters around our table. Whether it's your neighbor's using it as an apologetic of your life and hospitality to them. Whether it's your church friends playing a game together and asking at the end of that game, how can we pray for you? Let's pray together before you leave. Whether it's a life group, joining one of those. You say, well, I mean, okay, that sounds great, but I just don't have time. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you, make time. Right? If I don't have time, okay, well, this week on your habits audit, you've got to figure out something to cut. If you don't have time to regularly have people around your table, that means that your life is too crowded, and it's going to be difficult for you to follow in the way of Jesus. Maybe you need to miss the promotion by not working late one night a week. Maybe you need to lose the election by missing that one rally. You're not going to lose the election by missing one rally, but if you think you will, right, miss it. What happens around the table is more important. Maybe you need to get an episode behind on your show and catch up later. But I'm convinced that we will know that revival is bursting forth from Grace Church and from Ovilla and from our community, starting here. Not when this pulpit is thundering loudly. Not when all these seats are full. But when our prayer journals are full of pages of prayers to God, when our plates around our table are full of food for our neighbors and for our friends, that's when revival's going to happen. That's when we'll know the Lord is doing something special in the life of our church. That's when we see the Spirit moving. When you're in my prayer journals are full, 
and our tables are no longer empty. Spiritual formation is putting on a new self. It's learning Christ. And finally, spiritual formation is worth it. It's worth it. You hear this in Ephesians verse 24, Ephesians 4, 24. Put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. The goal of spiritual disciplines is godliness. That's what Paul says. The reason we put on a new self is to be more like God, to know him better, to commune with him more deeply, to experience more of Jesus. That's what we want when we come to pray. That's what we want when we come to read our Bibles. That's what we want when we meet with our life group around the table. All these things are means to the end of knowing Jesus more deeply. We train in the school of Jesus because Jesus is compelling. He is our master and we are his servant. He is our rabbi. We are his student. The reason we follow in the way of Jesus is because he is compelling. He is interesting. We look at Jesus and we say, I want to be like that. I want more of what he has. I want more of what he is. We love because he first loved us. We learn because he first learned us. We pray because he first prayed for us. And we encourage because he first encouraged us. Paul says in Philippians 3, it's not that I've reached the goal or I'm already perfect but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. He has taken hold of us. So we reach out to take hold of him. So we train because he's compelling. We train in the school of Jesus because he has conquered death. I mentioned this already. This is possible, all right? So I know I'm a human too, right? I recognize that as I'm saying this, that little voice in the back of your head is making excuses very quickly, right? I mean, yeah, 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 that's all true. I know that's true. But there's this unique thing about me that's going to make this impossible. I'm not disciplined. Okay. Well, I'm not, I'm not a good reader. I'm not a good memorizer. I'm not a good prayer. All these things start coming to our mind. And this is where we have to turn back to the resurrection. Jesus has conquered death. Whatever excuse is in the back of your mind, Jesus has conquered it. You say, well, you don't know me. You're right. I probably don't know you as well as I could, but I know Jesus, and I know he walked out of the grave. So I can guarantee you that everything we've listed here is possible, not by trying harder, but as you train in the power of the Spirit, asking the Lord for help, allowing him to work through your life imperfectly, coming to him, seeking forgiveness where you failed, picking it back up, and going again the next day, Fueled by his resurrection, there is power in Christ. He is the vine. We are the branches. And finally, we train in the school of Jesus because we believe this is what will bring us eternal joy. You remember that First Timothy passage on training that we read earlier? This is how it ends. For this reason, we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people especially those who believe. Aren't you tired of drifting and distraction? Aren't you tired of reinventing your story every single day, waking up in the morning deciding who you need to be that day, 
whether for the first time or the 10,000th. Respond this morning as we take the Lord's Supper together, committing to the Lord, I want to put off whatever the Spirit's bringing to my mind, and I want to put on more of Christ, recognizing I need your help. I need your body and your blood interceding for me, but I want to become the kind of person who looks more like Jesus. Join us this year as we train together not to run a marathon or, or play a piano, as great as those things are, but to walk in the way of the Lord who draws us in with his love, who guarantees results by walking out of the tomb, who lays out a banquet table of joys to those who will choose to walk with him. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge our weakness. Lord, our old selves continue to exert power in our lives. Lord, we feel the tug of other stories, other habits, calling our name. Lord, we are even now tempted to make excuses, Lord, to throw aside uh, the hope that you are who you say you are, that you are the living God, the Savior of all people. Lord, help us to believe this morning. We cry out, Lord, with the centurion. We believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, we want to have faith to see you work in our lives through our habits. Lord, I pray for each person here that you will continue to work in our lives, in our churches, calling us, moving us, compelling us to commune with you and to commune with others around us. We need your help, Lord Jesus. We ask that you would give it, knowing that you will. Just as you walked out of the grave, Lord, you will give us life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.